Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello everyone, Katie here. Happy New Year. For today's show, we head back to Rome to attend a special event I went to when I was last there, a storytelling night where immigrants to Rome told their stories. That night, I met an amazing man from Afghanistan, and you will not believe his story. And I hope it will give you a different perspective on how people come to be living in a country other than their own, when it's not by their own choice. A warning, though, this story is graphic. The night was hosted by Steve and Linda, owners of a hostel in Rome called the Beehive. We got to know them very well in our episode titled Parents. The event took place in the Beehive's courtyard. People crowded around in chairs, me crouched at the feet of the speakers with my trusty microphone. My thanks to the Beehive for letting me bring you this story. For more information, check our website, thebittersweetlife.net. We begin with part of Steve's introduction, explaining why inviting immigrants to the Beehive to tell their stories was important to him. My wife and I are American, and our lives and our story is really the heart of it, is the fact that we decided to make our home somewhere else. And we were able to do that because we have the right color passport and we kind of won the birth lottery like a lot of people here. Um, We just got really lucky. And not that it was a walk in the park. It took 16-something years of bureaucracy to get totally legal. (laughs) I don't want to give the impression that it's easy as an American, but the fact is it was possible. And we have a business that's made possible because people can go from one place to another. They can go from their home country, they can come here, and they can stay here. And that's something that a lot of us take for granted. And I think tonight we're going to see some perspective about the fact that a lot of people just can't. And when you think about why and the artifice in why certain people are just not allowed to go somewhere, especially when it involves their own personal safety, then it's just absurd. And you realize, why, why do I get to and someone else doesn't? And obviously I'm not alone in this uh, opinion. The UN agrees with me that people should have the right to go where they're safe and that they should be protected. And so I have to ask why when I look at the news or why when I hear the stories that people are telling about immigrants and refugees, why is there so much negativity about this thing that's happening? Why is the story that they're telling a story that I don't really believe is true? So let's clap for Rakim. Okay, so thank you very much, everyone. First of all, uh, my name is Rakim. I'm from Afghanistan, from Kabul. I'm born in Kabul. I had a very comfortable life there. I born in an educated family. My mother was teacher. My father was engineer. Also, I graduated from school. I studied two years psychology, but I unfortunately I couldn't finish. And also in that period, I was very interested to write something especially in a school when I was in a school and uh, when the teacher was giving us homework to write something some article about winter about peace about love about anything else I was writing too many pages three page four page and the teacher was getting tired and saying please Rekin as short as possible <laughs> I was really interested to write and write and my father knew that I am really interested in writing and he introduced me with someone who was a writer and he encouraged me more. And my first book, uh, which established, and uh, I was uh, graduated from school and knew I was, 
uh, I, I joined uh, psychology and I was very happy. Then I start, I start writing again and again. And um, so, in fact, we had a very comfortable life. How it happened that my life changed. Maybe uh, many of you don't know about Afghanistan, what is going on. Not only the problem of Al-Qaeda, problem of Taliban. We also have some kind of mafia and kidnappers in Afghanistan. They're working and they're looking for some people who are rich, who have too much money. And they're kidnapping their son, daughter, and they're kidnapping and asking for money. If they don't send money, so they're cut their ears, cut the fingers or something to send the family and force them to send them money. This is easy way for them to steal money from the rich people. So I was also the victim for that. I had an ice cream shop also. On the part time, I was going to my shop sometimes. And when I was on the way to go to ice cream shop, it was early morning and a car came with black glasses and many, some people came with masks and they put in my nose something. I just didn't, didn't uh, sorry about my, my English, I can't, because I just want to know you that, uh, what I mean. That, <laughs> sorry. And when I opened my eyes, I was in a very small room. My hand was closed and some uh, people with mosque and they came and, and gave me the phone to call to, your, to ask your parents to send us money. I knew that that much money that they was asking from my parents, it was difficult for my family. Even if my father was trying to sell the car, the house, it was not possible. They was asking about uh, $500,000 from my father. And they knew that. They knew that if he don't send the money, they will kill me or they will punish me or something. It, it happened before. One of my neighbors, six months before that I have been kidnapped, they kidnapped my neighbor and they was cutting his hair and, and sending to family that if you don't send money next time, we will kill him. And the parents was really trying to gather the money to, to send them because of saving their children. Next time they cut his finger and sent to his family and the family couldn't provide that much money that they wanted. And then they killed him and put him in a bag and put him in backside of their home. They was doing that for another people when they was kidnapping. It was a lesson for them to send money as soon as possible for them. This is something that they was doing. This, this was their business. But I knew that it's very dangerous for me to be here. But m my father was really trying to make them busy. And my father was telling them, I'm trying to sell my house. I'm, I'm really put my house in for sale. If someone come and my house will be sale, I will send you the money. When I was there, almost four months, I was on their jail and they was beating me too much. And they was recording by video the beating. And still I have the sign of their beating in my legs and in my back. And I was yelling and they was beating and they was recording. Still I have the records and still I have some many photos that they have been took from me and they were sending to my family that to force them to, to be sorry about me to send the money. I don't know, it was the miraculous, uh, something happened. Uh, every time when they was coming and giving me the food to eat, it was small bread and the water just they was giving that I do not die and something like that. So they was opening my hand on that time and I was able to eat and to go to the toilet. It was just one time. 
So on that night, I knew that tomorrow they will maybe cut my hair or cut my finger to send to my family. I knew that it will happen because it was very late. My father was trying to make them busy. So it was a very small window on the top. They just opened my hand and they forget to close it back. And they went and they closed the door and I was also kind of pretending that my hand is closed. And they didn't understand that they really closed my hand or not. So it was a good opportunity for me that I start jumping to that window. It was a small window and I tried to first enter my one shoulder and one head. This shoulder was very difficult to, to go inside that window. And I keep pushing myself. You know, if you are in such a, uh, such a, um, I don't know, uh, yeah, and you know that you will die, and you will try your best to rescue yourself, even if you are hurt, even you don't care, and you're trying yourself. This shoulder also gone very, very difficult, and I also injured, and uh, even the, the bones was showing when I went to the doctor. I, everyone can see the bones, and also. The, the last time my, my hip, I don't know what you call here, yes. in the back, my hips, yeah. Here was hanging in the window. It was two floor down. When I see to the ground, it was two floor. It was two floor. And I try my best and push myself and I just threw myself from the window. And by God, I don't know, it was really a miracle that I just rolled and I fall with legs in the ground. And I rolled and I just wake up. And I just stand up and uh, start running. I see that the street there's cars crossing. I know that there is some street, and I was just running. I just keep running and uh, arrive myself to the street. I was totally bloody. Even before, when they was hitting me, there was nothing to to wash my hair. And especially this place, they was hitting me in the back of uh, you know Klashinkov. Klashinkov, they was beating at the backside of Klashinkov. I was totally blood in my hair, and also some other places. I stopped one car and it was a taxi. And first he scared and said, what happened with you? I said, please, please bring me to the nearest security or police where it is, please. And he was a very good man. And he ride me to the nearest. Uh, it was, in, in fact, the office from National Directorate of Security of Afghanistan. So they bring me there. And I entered to the office and, and the guard said, what happened to you? And said, I'm Rakin, I have been kidnapped. Please let me to go and talk with the people which are inside. And they let me to go inside and they knew that I have been kidnapped because my father was reported already to the police, the security agency, to everywhere that my son has been kidnapped. And they asked my name when I gave my name and they knew that I have been kidnapped. So they asked me, please, as soon as possible, if you can go with us, you will be safe. Just show me where it was, where that house was, that they have been kidnapped. I said, yeah, of course, I can do that for you. And they also asked the taxi driver to bring us. So I born in Kabul and I know the area in Kabul very well. I knew where it was. So they went there and they covered that area. And I told them the other people from that kidnappers is coming in the daytime, especially in the morning they are coming. So they was waiting a little bit, but they, uh, they think that maybe they will know. And they start operation to that house. But in fact, they was defending. There was resistance, there was resistance, resistance. And um, there was fighting between these groups and the police. After three hours, 
two people of them have been arrested and three of them have been killed. Many of them which was not here, they escaped. They got the news that something which happened here. So I came to my home and my father, everyone was very happy and for about one and two months we was very happy and we was thinking that it was the end of the problem, that there will be not a problem. Then we got some blackmails or kind of email from that group again and they was warning me that if you skipped from our place or our jail, why you didn't go to your home, why you reported us to police and they came and did damage and they killed many of us. When I saw this, my father was very scared that what we should do. So we rent our apartment and we moved to some other place in Kabul. We knew that this place is not safe for us. Maybe this group will come and do something for us. In fact, three persons of them have been killed. In Afghanistan, there is kind of um, revenge. Anyone who died, the, the brother is killed or someone, they're trying to revenge from someone. They're killing and unfortunately there are some people is like that not all but some people is like that so we went some other place and um, my mother had heart attack from long time before sometimes when uh, the heart attack was uh, she was sick about that and we was bringing to hospital my father was with her one night and next night I was with her. One night my father, one night I was with her because we needed to take care of her if something would not happen with her. So the night when I wanted to go to her, that night, my small sister, her name, uh, I also wanted to say I had two brothers and two sisters. They were smaller than me. My brother's name was Faisal, Mashal, and my sister's name was uh, Michelle and Mariam. And Mariam, if I translate in English, Mary, mother of Jesus, peace be upon him. And uh, my small sister's name was Mary. She was very trying to go with me to the hospital. I told her that she was seven years old. I told her that uh, it's not necessary to go. You have to go to the hospital. Hospital is not the place for children. The next time, tomorrow when I come, I will bring you to the park, to the ice cream shop, and we will be happy. It was the first time that she was very pushing to go with me. I don't know. I, I heard kind of that maybe she knew something. And so I was in the hospital that these kidnappers, they found my place and they came two o'clock to my home, two o'clock of night. Everyone was asleep. My father, my two brothers and two sisters, and they just shoot and killed everyone from My, f <coughs> my family. So I was in the in the hospital, and uh, the neighbors called, and they came also to the hospital, and they first came to me, and they asked me that this happened to your um, family, and <coughs> in fact, I didn't want it, but that my mother should know about this story because my other mother had heart attack. And I didn't want her to know about this because it was dangerous if he knew it was something bad would happen with her. So I was hiding for a long time. I couldn't manage to go to see their grave and to graving them and the, this kind of ceremony. I was just trying to be with my mother. I was very sad and I couldn't control my cryings when I was with her. But I was just trying because of the health and of my mother to do not say anything. And. Uh, Yeah, <clears throat> so 
when my mother little bit was feeling better, the doctor said that you can tell her now she is little bit better. When I told her, it was a very, very saddest moment in my life that me and my mother was hugging each other and crying, crying till late. And I can't imagine how can I explain that uh, how I was feeling on that time. So another sadness was that that when we was calling to all our relatives, uncle and everyone who has a relationship with us, to please let us to be in your home for some few days uh, till we find another place to out of city to be safe. No one was answering our phone. No one was trying to be contact with us. We was just on a hospital and no one. In fact, my father was helping many people, but no one of them came to us and to bring us. In one point, I know that they was afraid. Maybe they was thinking that the kidnappers will come to, to their home and uh, will something will happen to their family as well. It was one of my hope, one of my friends when he was in a school with me, he was my classmate. He was very friendly with me, like a brother. I called him and I told him, you are my only hope. Please help me. We are in the hospital and we don't have any other place to go. Nowhere is safe for us. Please. And he told me, Rakin, you, you're, this is your home. You can come anytime if you want. And he came and it was night time that he bring me there to his home. I was on there about six or seven months. I was in their home and then my mother asked me that how long you, we should be live, hide like this. We would not have any future here. So you have to go out, you have to go to foreign countries and make your life and then invite me, then I will come and maybe I will be also fine with my heart attack and everything will be okay. In fact, I was not trying to go away from my mother. I was always trying to be with my mother, but she forced me to go and make your future because how long if you be here, it was useless, nothing will happen. So I came to Europe. I came very easy to Europe. I didn't come by, by car. We had money and we gave the money to someone to bring me easier to Europe. My first country when I arrived, it was Norway. When I arrived to Norway, unfortunately, there was some problem with Afghan refugees in Norway. Norway was not accepting any refugees on that time because they had some contract with Afghan governor. They have been signed that contract to send back all refugees to Afghanistan because now Afghanistan is international security as a stance forces. There is peace. Everyone is safe there. They was not accepting any refugees, especially Afghan refugees. Even I was bringing them my video records that I had, the photos, documents from governor, and it was proving that my life is in danger. But they were telling me that we know that your life is in danger in Kabul. But you can go to Kandahar, to Helmand, to other cities and you can live. I was thinking that what kind of human rights it is. So they're coming in my country and they're telling that human rights, human rights, human rights. They're blaming every, every parts of groups in my country about the, they don't care about human rights. But when I am here, they know that my life is in danger in Kabul. They will kill me and kill my mother. So they are telling me that you can go and live in Kandahar or Mazar or some other place. They gave me negative answers, so I give liar. And I was trying to uh, find a documents to be safe somewhere, also to invite my mother that both of us will be safe. So after four years I was there, I saw that this is nothing 
this is useless to be here. And also my mother was sick and they wanted to deport me the second negative answer which came to me and I knew that they will deport me back to Afghanistan. So Italy was my only option. In fact, if I explain about Italy, it have two points, one positive and one negative point. Positive points about Italy is that for me, especially for me, it really helped, really helped. If Norway would deport me back to Afghanistan, I, would, I don't know that what will happen with me and my life. But Italy was the only country which was not sending back people. I don't know uh, anyone who knows about Dublin regulation. If you have fingerprints in one can European countries, so you cannot apply to another European countries. If you apply to the second country, so they will send you back to the first country. So Italy was the only country that they was not sending back refugees to the first. And I came here. Many problems and difficulties that I face here, I can't imagine. So three months when I be here, I was living in a tent in the park. It was my first experience of my life that I was sleeping in a park for three months. I had a comfortable life in my house and I can't imagine. I was just thinking about human rights. When I was hearing about Europe, about human rights, about equality, about goodness, about this thing. After three months, I registered to police and they was looking for camp for me and I find a place to be in a camp. When I was in the camp, I was sleeping with 10 people in one small room. I don't know, you can't imagine how you can sleep with 10 people in a very small room. Someone is snoring, someone is coughing, and someone is talking. And I didn't have good sleep, and there was no good food. And the water was cold. If you want to take a shower, the water was totally cold even during the winter. This is not humanity, in effect. This is not humanity. We are not deserved to be like that. At least if you're giving a document for someone to live like that, and it's not good. And also, I find the GNRC center on that moment when I was there. When, when I find the center, I meet uh, Monica. She's sitting here and she's um, the psychologist and she's very talented and very good woman. And on that time, my mother also, when she had heart attack and she died. After six months when I was here, my mother also died. And I was very totally kind of there like dead, like dead person. I, I was not like, I didn't have any feelings. I was just crying in every park. I was sitting like crazy. I was talking with the trees. I, was, I wanted to talk with the God. Why would happen in my life? Why you took every one of my life from me? My mother was my only hope. Why you took her? So like a crazy. But when I came to this center and I met some wonderful people and they kind of gave me some hope and I'm really happy for them. After when Monica had some meetings with me, uh, she introduced me with the artisan uh, groups. I met with a wonderful uh, woman which is sitting in jail. I, I just want everyone to clap for her. She is very wonderful. In fact, in fact, I just want to mention that now I have a mother. I have family. She is like my mother and she uh, really gave me hope. She really gave me this position that I'm a person, I can be someone, I'm a human being. I'm really thankful from deep of my heart. Now I have brothers, sisters and mother. I'm in a family now. I'm not like the person that I was before. And the last point that I want to a little bit focus on that is about the anti-migrants and anti-Muslim 
those guys who are anti-migrants or anti-refugees, 85% of them are anti-Muslim. I, as a Muslim, we should not follow what some other groups doing in, in the name of Islam or Muslims. The main point is that the knowledge. They don't have knowledge about my religion, just they hate and just they see what's going on. I never find any verse, any verse in Quran to say to kill a Christian to go to heaven. This is all program, this is all games, this is all political games. As a Muslim, I want to tell you, we love Jesus, we love Jesus, peace be upon him. Muslim and Christians have so much together. We must not let our disagreement overshadow the fact that we have so much together. For example, Muslim and Christians believe in Jesus, peace be upon him. No Muslim is a Muslim without believing in Jesus, peace be upon him. We believe that Jesus was one of the mightiest messengers of God. We believe that he gave life to the dead by God's permission. And we believe that he performed many miraculous deeds. And we believe that God raised him up into the heaven. And we believe that Jesus will return a second time back. We have common beliefs with our Christian friends. R remember, Muslim and Christians make up more than half the world population. If we combine our effort in good, you can serve ourselves in humankind all the better. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Thanks for all the ways you support us. Give us a good rating on iTunes, maybe five stars if you like the show. It will help other people discover that we exist. Thank you. You're the best.